this is Nick Wright with Managing Editor Zachary Fillingham of geopoliticalmonitor.com. And today we're going to be discussing uh, Libya, specifically the article that we have up on the site uh, and the issues that it's discussed. And the article is entitled Backgrounder, the Battle of Tripoli. So, Zach, tell us a little bit about what's happening in Libya. Okay, so basically, recently, Libya, as we know, has been in a state of civil war for a long time. And recently, the civil war, which has been essentially stalemated between East and West, um, it flared up again. And um, it flared up right before a major UN peace conference was supposed to be held uh, that was hopefully going to produce a power-sharing deal and lead to the establishment of a new national government. Uh, the conference has since been canceled, and the um, the Libya National Army, or LNA, which is based in the east, along with the House of Representatives, um, has launched under the leadership of uh, General Khalil Haftar, has launched an offensive on the uh, Government of National Accord, or GNA, in Tripoli. And um, just already you know how complicated this is. <laughs> um, Libya is extremely diverse country, uh, country extre- you know, ethnically, linguistically, religious, tribal, um, everything, politically diverse uh, between east, west, and south. Basically, it's one of those countries that, um, the, like the modern state, the way that the modern borders were drawn, uh, lumped together uh, sort of political units that had long-standingly been independent before uh, the the east, the west, and the south. So um, the civil wars flared up again with the launch of a new offensive um, by the LNA on the GNA. So that's the eastern government moving against the western government uh, in Tripoli. And um, it has an international dimension because uh, the two sides are recognized by various different international players. The GNA is considered the legitimate government of Libya. It's recognized by the United Nations. Well, basically because it is recognized by the United Nations, it's kind of the default position as the legitimate government of Libya. Um, It's also supported by Italy, the United States, the United Kingdom, Turkey, Qatar, Germany, among others. Uh, The LNA, which is the army of General Haftar, which supports the House of Representatives in the East. And, okay, so the LNA and its forces, these are the ones who are moving on Tripoli, they're supported by Egypt, Russia, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, and to a certain degree, Trump, France as well. President Trump has also reached out to Haftar recently, General Haftar, um, and supposedly expressed some level of support for the offensive, even though that runs contrary to the State Department's official stance of supporting the government of national accord in Tripoli. So, basically... Simply put, these two sides are competing political entities. Um, Both come out of the uh, political reconciliation process that followed the 2001 uh, NATO campaign and the civil, what you might call the first phase of the civil war. Uh, The House of Representatives originally was actually elected um, and based in Tripoli. Uh, It was elected on a huge or uh, almost nothing turnout. 
Um, but in 2014, the Supreme Court, also a new incipient, uh, incipient institution, judged or ruled that it was um, illegitimate, called for new elections. The House of Representatives didn't accept the new elections, ended up fleeing to the east, um, was based in Tubrook. And now, basically, you have two competing entities. The GNA is, is kind of like the successor of that original um, political process, but it too is illegitimate in the sense that it has um, defied the original, it's gone well past the original timeline of new elections and establishing a new national authority. So basically both sides um, <laughs> have kind of conflicting basis of authority both sides don't have a perfect case to be made, so their case is made essentially by the, the international backers who are willing to get behind them. Um, and then in the South, you have some some other longstanding militias, uh, the Turegs, the Tebu, um, and various Arab militias that have allied with or aligned with one side or the other in this, uh, this, this new campaign. So... Um, you know, obviously, Libya, very diverse country, lots of different militias. Some are some are geographic, some are ethnic, some are tribal. Uh, you know, like, for example, Zintan Brigades based around the city, um, you know, but active in this current campaign fighting in Tripoli against uh, the LNA. The map that we have on the geopolitical monitor, it kind of uh, simplifies uh, it, it simplifies the situation in the sense that in order to, to create a sort of broad idea of what's happening and who controls what. Um, but it should be said that this sort of, and you'll, you'll notice that the two sides represented in the map are GNA and allies and the LNA and allies. So the important thing here is the allies. Those are sort of fluctuating lines, sometimes shifting one side the other. Um, there are also neutral parties that are not represented on the map, but it was intended to give a sort of general sense of what's going on. And the map is on the website under the article Background or the Battle of Tripoli 2019. So to our listeners, you can go to the website and uh, check out the map uh, while we discuss this issue. So, uh, Zach, so what we see when looking at the map is that there is a divide in the country with two different major factions uh, competing for power. Uh, will this likely lead to a fall of Tripoli or uh, a change of uh, power uh, in the nation's most important center? Um, well, when discussing Tripoli, like, uh, I think it's hard to say the the attack, the launch of the attack came as, as, as a surprise to many. Uh, even Haftar's biggest foreign backers seem to be caught. Um, on the back foot when he launched this latest campaign. Um, so within both sides, there's a lot of intra-factional um, tension. I mean, like, even though um, even though they're fighting on the side of the LNA or the GNA, they're not exactly, you know, the bonds that hold this, this, these two sides together are very weak, right? That's especially true for the GNA, which the GNA is even more, you know, 
I don't want to say hollow, but like the GNA is just an empty sort of institutional framework that itself has no national army, right? Like the LNA is the Libya national army. It, it, Haftar is claiming that sort of claiming the banner of that national institution, something that presumably would fall under the GNA if it was actually the legitimate government of, of Libya. So to fill in that kind of security, um, to, to provide security for the GNA, you have various uh, Western-based militias who have moved into Tripoli and who are acting to defend the, the city against the city and its surroundings against the LNA attack. So far, I think the defense of Tripoli has actually gone better than expected, uh, better than many were expecting in terms of um, the GNA defending the city. Because as, as, as you can see, I mean, from the map, the LNA accounts for a lot of, of Libya's territory and um, a lot of the country's oil fields fall under the LNA's area. So the GNA has done, done well so far, and actually there, there were reports of encirclements in south of Tripoli. There were reports that, uh, of heavy casualties in the LNA. So early indications are that the, the defense of Tripoli is going uh, quite well for the GNA. However, um, given the sort of um, fractious aspect of that coalition, you never know how long it's going to hold. Um, and, you know, you, you, there's definitely the potential for sudden problems to come up. And, um, and yeah, so, yeah. So what would it mean if Tripoli were to fall? Um, well, I think, I, I mean, like, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be getting my hopes up about a, a new sort of national uh, reconciliation process. I think that... Like the UN process, as represented by that that conference that was originally intended to be held, um, uh, I think mid, uh, at the end of April. I think that that process is dead for now. Um, I think that if 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 the GNA falls, if Tripoli falls, and the LNA asserts its writ over Tripoli proper. Um, it's still not the end of the war. There's still major metropolitan areas. It's, it's Libya, I shouldn't say. <laughs> there's still cities that um, need to be conquered, major cities that, that would need to be conquered before um, the LNA could credibly say that it's in control of all the country, um, Misrata being a big one. And, um, and like... When it when it would come to and equally true of uh, the LNA failing to take Tripoli, if the LNA suffers some sort of major military defeat, fails to take Tripoli, the GNA kind of lacks the ability to project its own power beyond the immediate area it finds itself in currently. So where it might it might retake, uh, for example, the western oil fields, the Shahara field, um, that have recently fallen into um, LNA hands, uh, it's unlikely that it would be able to push its advantage into the eastern area of Libya and take over the sort of uh, the, the LNA heartland. So basically you have all of the ingredients of an ongoing stalemate here. If Haftar manages to cons like consolidate control over Tripoli, 
he will have a very difficult time establishing a sort of national framework, um, a, a national state framework of what we saw in pre-2011 Libya. Um, and obviously, like, whether or not Libya is stabilized is an important question, important uh, consideration. It has, like, this war has a lot of geopolitical ramifications. Um, one of the major ones is migrant streams into Europe. Uh, the European Union had just recently sort of come to some sort of agreement with the Libyan authorities um, in terms of stemming the flow of migrants into Europe. It's an agreement that uh, a lot of humanitarian NGOs did not like because it did not result in the, the most ideal treatment for a lot of the migrants, some of, some of whom are right now trapped in the middle of a war. Um, there's obviously the consideration of Islamic State, which got a foothold in Libya um, and was sort of, for the most part, driven out for now. Um, since, uh, you know, General Haftar's 2014, quote unquote, Operation Dignity campaign. But uh, still, you know, um, still there's the, the threat of Islamic State reestablishing itself if in these sort of vacuums. Um, and finally, there's the possibility that of uh, the present um, instability being exported across the border into Libya's neighbors. Uh, Libya's in kind of a particularly unstable neighborhood. Uh, Egypt, as we know, had its own sort of post-Arab spring political disruptions and now is ruled by... Um, uh, a military dictator, essentially, uh, <laughs> and uh, other countries surrounding Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, and, and then to the south, Niger, Chad, all sort of have their own um, ongoing political problems. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to uh, keep an eye on. Interesting. And um, can you elaborate a bit on the legacy of the 2011 NATO intervention and perhaps for our listeners just providing a, a refresher as to uh, what happened and the impact it's had since? Well, I think it was a big mistake. <laughs> um, well, whatever. Who am I? I'm just an analyst. But uh, I think, you know, now about eight years later, what we see currently unfolding um, the big takeaway is that Libya has yet to stabilize since 2011. Um, 2011, of course, coincides with the outbreak of the Arab Spring. Um, so basically, the Arab Spring hit. You had a series of uh, protests throughout eastern Libya. Um, those protests turned into a civil war. And at some point, um, NATO... Um, NATO countries passed a resolution in the UN Security uh, Council to, um, to provide a no-fly zone over Libya under the, under the assumption that it would be protecting, basically neutralizing the Gaddafi regime's uh, air power advantage vis-a-vis -vis the rebels. So basically making it so that the Gaddafi regime couldn't bomb the rebel armies. Uh, that, was the, that was the original presumption, but uh, following, following that resolution, um, let's just say it was creatively interpreted by some of the parties, and the NATO campaign morphed into more of an offensive war against 
reducing the Gaddafi regimes the, and pro-Gaddafi forces' capacity vis-a-vis the rebels. In the end, the rebels won, and Gaddafi, um, long-standing ruler, uh, tyrannical ruler of Libya, was um, murdered in the streets. And um, and what we see now is sort of the the ongoing consequence of that 2011 campaign. Um, basically, the country has yet to stabilize. Uh, and there's, you know, as we touched down on a bit discussing this topic, there's, there's no real prospects that it will stabilize anytime soon. Um, so <laughs> I think that that also has to do with why you see some, some of the, the usual GNA allies moving a little bit over to Haftar. Haftar has been consolidating his international support lately. And I think um, it's somewhat owing to the, this nostalgia of the Gaddafi area where some foreign backers are tiring of, of the ongoing chaos and instability of Libya. And they yearn for the days of a strong hand that could rule the country, pull the, pull the country together by force of arms. So some people think that that is General Haftar, but, um, you know, I would say that that in, its, in and of itself is a reflection of a total failure of 2011. Um, you know, whether it was genuine or not, the, the, the stated NATO intention was to establish democracy. And uh, we continue to be an extremely far, <laughs> far away away from that. So... Let's say that. And so also, all, just one the, last thing. It, I, when you look back at 2011, I honestly, I think there's a strong case to be made that it's going to be a turning point in the history of, uh, it, like this this era. It's it's the birth of a new epoch, really, because it was. I think it's going to be looked back on as the last time that you saw real cooperation at the highest level of international institutions, the UN Security Council. Um, you, you had buy-in from um, countries like Russia and China to sort of deal with an international security um, problem, where the US diplomats were able to convince them to get on side, um, and they, they voted to support it. And they ultimately believe that the, their intention was betrayed by what happened next. So in the future, rather than get on board with these projects uh, to, in, the, in the interest of ensuring international security or whatever, um, I think that the, their, their takeaway is, is that it's better to just um, obstruct, obstruct, obstruct. Interesting. And uh, in the immediate term uh, and uh, longer term, what does this mean for the oil markets, this <laughs> ongoing instability, this battle of Tripoli? Um, well, actually, it's, I think it's surprising that, uh, well, some people would be surprised to learn that, you know, Libya pumps about 1.17 billion barrels per day. Um, <clears throat> it was heading to <clears throat> a six-year six high as, uh, in March before this campaign started. But even with the campaign, the, the, the pumps still go, keep going, you know. As it stands right now, it's not overly disruptive. Of course, there's a potential for disruption. And also, even like uh, 
I think the map can become somewhat de deceptive. Uh, like the LNA forces, even though it looks like they control everything, you can have uh, militias break off suddenly and take over. So right now, it's not, it's fine. The, the oil continues to flow, but as long as this campaign goes on, and really in the future as well, uh, there's the real potential for disruptions in Libya. Fascinating. Well, thanks again, Zach. And a reminder to our listeners, you can check out the article, Backgrounder, the Battle of Tripoli 2019, on our website at geopoliticalmonitor.com. Uh, and thanks for listening and looking forward to next time. Talk to you then.